Morning, people. I have been given the awesome privilege and responsibility to close First Corinthians. Um, we are going to conclude with these final chapters from verse uh, from chapter fifteen and sixteen. Just to mention as well that we have our final midweek uh, session coming up. So, if you have any questions on what have been covered over the past three months. Uh, do scan this QR code very quickly or go to our website for more details and also the Zoom recordings of past sessions is available for you to catch up upon. See, some of us are trying to scan. Very good. Great. Okay, this last session, as mentioned, okay, is Ask Anything. Okay, and so I'm sure over the past three months, uh, whatever have been covered, you might have you know, some questions, uh, do uh, attend this session. Uh, it will be hosted and moderated by our PIC uh, and our panel speakers are Dr. Leo and uh, Benedict, whom are no strangers to all of us. Okay, so we won't be reading the entire passages from the two chapters because of time, uh, but you can follow me from your Bibles. Uh, however, let me read the key verses from the first part of the sermon taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 56 to 58, and then we'll refer to the rest as we go along. So allow me to read the Word of God. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. Where are we in being a real church? Where are you? in being part of this church? This is the question that I want to raise for us to reflect on as we close this sermon series. Now, we embark on 1 Corinthians as part of our church direction of being intentional discipleship, uh, intentional disciple. This year, especially within our families and loved ones, and we wanted to look at issues that impacts the heart of what it means to be a faith community. Our pastor in charge heartbeat for this sermon series is for us to be a real church. First Corinthians captured many real issues that we need to face if we are to be a real community. And so for the past three months, this is what we have covered through the letters. Issues that impacted the life of a faith community in Corinth. Division, sexual immorality, idolatry, discipline, marriage and singleness, worship order, spiritual gifts, and where we are today, Christ's resurrection. And so continuing from Pastor Adrian's message on Christ and the certainty of His resurrection, from chapter 15 verses 1 to 49, we continue to unpack. We continue to unpack the rest of chapter 15, through to 16 with the following broad outline for all of us. Ah, I missed this slide. My apologies. 
Okay, and this is the broad outline for us. We're going to look at the nature of Christ's resurrection and what it means for us as believers. And then we're going to look at the call of readiness of giving that forms the shape of church life. Broad outline. And so allow me to share three thoughts. First, our one hope in Christ's victory over death. Our one hope in Christ's victory over death. Now, if you're following me from the Bibles, Paul continues from the first part of chapter 15 and essentially answers the question of what happens when we die. What happens when we die? In this last part of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul wants to remind the church that death is a defeated enemy. The death of death, like what we sung just now in our worship. And it is befitting of the triumphant ending to this letter in the victory that our Lord Jesus Christ has won for us. That even though our mortal bodies may perish for those that are in Christ, death became a gateway to lift us into the presence of the victorious Christ. Here Paul declares in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 50, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flesh, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. While we usually emphasize through perhaps Bible studies or sermons on spiritual death and transformation, Paul is talking about another kind of transformation, which is the um, theological doctrine of glorification. The theological doctrine of glorification. It describes for us how believers in Christ will experience resurrection to a new spiritual and physical body. And this was something that Pastor Adrian uh, shared with us two weeks ago. Now, the reference to flesh, flesh and blood in verse 50 represents our perishable and mortal lives. So the concept of new creation or glorification will be a physical experience with new imperishable bodies, eternal bodies, to inherit the kingdom of God. It tells us, that the kingdom of God is a physical kingdom. And we need new physical bodies that is fit for the new creation. Those who died in Christ are said to be asleep, but though, that there will also be believers who are still alive when He returns. More importantly, all of those who are in Christ, all of us, will experience this promised transformation and will receive bodies fit for the kingdom of God. Isn't it exciting? Doesn't it sound like a hope that you would embrace? No more tears, no diseases. But nevertheless, Paul calls this transformation a mystery. A mystery in terms of time and form. But one day, the trumpet 
will sound, and we will be changed. This is, my friends, our Christian hope, and our definition of hope is different from how the world defines. And so, the discipleship lesson then on this side of eternity for us: where are we putting our hope in, as God's people? Where are we putting our hope in, as God's people? Our journey can feel like a slow and difficult process as we put our sin to death, or as we try to walk in holiness in wherever we are, through our studies and our families and our workplace. Or we can easily place our hope solely on how I do. In my studies, so how I am faring in my work. Well, the truth of the matter is, we get caught. We get caught placing our hope in the world today, and our identity as Christians becomes whitewashed. Whitewashed because we get caught assuming the values and norms of the worldly influence. That we seek to learn more about the heritage and values of the world rather than. God's kingdom values. To put our hope in this physical world is vanity. To put our hope in this physical world is vanity. Jesus said in Matthew chapter twenty-three, and I believe it is not just for the teachers of the law of Pharisees, but He said, "Woe to you, you hypocrites!" You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you may appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Now, there is nothing wrong in showing more appreciation for the world God has created and declared good and beautiful. And we will want to care for our bodies we have given as it is God's temple. However, to put our hope in trying to cheat death, all、oh、men, and to live like this world with all there is to it is vanity. Which leads me to my next thought, as I was reflecting through this sermon, that one binding truth that we more than often forget in our living is that death is. A common denominator for all men. Death is a common denominator for all men. When I was a boy in the boys' brigade, I remember my first leadership camp when I was about secondary two. I was given a picture of a tombstone with my name on it, Clement Ong. Have you ever received something like that? A picture of your tombstone with your name on it. I was given at the beginning of the camp, and it was certainly frightening to receive something like this. I was, I was wondering, am I going to suffer so much that you are hinting me? But that was somewhat my first experience, truly reflecting on death, intentionally and naturally. All the questions surrounding it. Continues, I guess, to linger. What comes after death? How am I living my life? Is there all to wait in my lifetime? 
how am I putting my hopes and dreams? Death is a common denominator of all men. It makes us all equal as human beings. And the thing is, we don't usually think or talk about it until we meet with death. Or when it happens to our families or loved ones. And when it comes around, we all struggle with what comes along with death. That sense of loss, regret, unaccomplished goals, or time not spent with loved ones. All of this builds up to that sense of hopelessness that breeds like poison. And that it can overwhelm purpose and meaning in our lives. But, my friends, there is a difference to how the Bible leads us to consider death. The Bible leads us to consider very differently on the topic of death. Yes, death seems to be a natural part of life, but the scripture sees death as an enemy, an intruder of life intended by God. Apostle Paul in verse 56 superbly interconnects death, sin, and the law. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Sin entered into creation when Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the creation account in Genesis. God warns Adam and Eve, by saying that in the day that you will eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. When you disobey, you will surely die. Hence, death is an enemy and a consequence of sin. So in this fallen world, we will all experience death, yes. Why then? The power of sin is the law. Now, the law was given to show the holiness of God and to restrain sin of the people of God. But we all fall short of God's glory, of God's holiness, and it reveals our transgression, our propensity to sin, to wickedness, to evil. We are hopeless. I am hopeless apart from God intervening as our Redeemer. For God's Word, through the Gospel, to reveal to us our need for a Saviour. Yes, we were condemned to sin and its consequences. So even though everyone may experience death, it is not presented in the Bible as natural. Death, my friends, is an enemy. And he has been defeated because God has given victory through Jesus Christ who has resurrected from death in his glorified body. In all of his glory with scars and all when he revealed himself to his disciples. My friends, the greater truth in hope is that God has the final say. Amen. God has the final say. Yes, death still has its stink, but God has the final say over death, over our enemies, because the victory of Christ is certain. 
and the victory of Christ is shared with His people. Turn to one another and say, God has the final say. Okay, one more time. God has the final say over your lives. One more time. Yes, this is our Christian hope. It gives us real hope as we are commanded to be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain because God has the final say. Our work for the Lord will bear fruit because God has the final say. We might have been overwhelmed with challenges and difficulties in life, but God has the final say. And so even when life and experiences of death around you seems heavy, know that it is not in vain and that God has worked to defeat death in Christ. Amen? Amen. And so how does the faith community look like when they live by the right theology of hope, of death, and hold on to the binding truth of Christ's victory over death? This is where we look at the last chapter, chapter 16, where Paul closes his letter by giving them the shape of a hope-filled, truth-binding church. The shape of a church that is motivated by love. The shape of a church that is motivated by love. And the key verse for chapter 16, chapter 16 is in verses 13 and 14. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Have, have, be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. Do everything in love. Paul appeals to the gospel message all throughout the letter of 1 Corinthians. He also makes it explicit in the first part of 1 Corinthians 15, as he recounted Jesus' life, death, and resurrection as of first importance. And first importance means to be able to prioritize standing firm in the faith and the knowledge of the gospel and in areas of theology and of life issues that comes with it. To be able to live out the gospel that we carry. To be able to prioritize in all aspects of our lives the gospel that we carry. And so through 1 Corinthians, we see Paul's heartbeat. That the church be no longer people who live for themselves, but that we would do everything in love. And so to help us continue the fight against sin, against pride, against division, against the issues that the First Corinthian church experienced. Allow me to share a few applications that Paul highlights in this final chapter that forms the shape of the church. And the first one is this. The church is called to be ready to give. The church is called to be ready to give. Now, why does Paul turn to giving financially so quickly after his long discourse on resurrection. Seems like a downer to me. Difficult to preach. <clears throat> I was questioning myself whether to go into chapter 16 or not, to be honest. 
but it is the word of God. I honor it. And that as I looked into and behind chapter 16 in its context, I understand that the Christians in Rome, Corinth, and, and Galatea were asking for financial support to help the struggling Jerusalem church, which, which was suffering under famine and persecution. Many Jewish Christians came into faith in Jesus as Messiah and were kicked out of their synagogues. They were kicked out of their families even and their jobs because of their faith. Paul directed the Corinthians to participate in the gospel by giving to their brothers and sisters in Christ, whom they would likely never meet in person, nor know by name. This is a discipleship opportunity to address personal pride by giving in secret, by giving in secret to people across the world. The instructions he gave to the Corinthian church here in verses 1 and 2 is to be consistent and generous. They are to store up their gift or offering week by week on the first day, presumably when they gather for worship. And they are to give generously as each one prospered. Those who were able to give then were encouraged to give more. And those who could not afford should give as they are able. Being called as disciples in Christ connects the gospel and our ministries to our resources, to our finances. And that with whatever the Lord has provided through, through our resources, whatever He has blessed us with, we are to be ready to use it to partner with God's work and to bless others. Living the gospel and doing all in love means that we look outward with what God has provided. And as we embrace the call to readiness in giving, we see how that shaped the church. How that being done in love compels us to be a family undivided. The church of Christ is called to be a family undivided. Now, one major issue that Paul has addressed early in the letter was to challenge their division and disordered worship as a church. And he did it by wanting to draw near to them in person for ministry as Christ Jesus drew near to us. As Christ Jesus drew near to him. He was setting an example of the incarnational ministry of the gospel. In chapter 16, verse 5, I don't have it on the slide, Paul plans on visiting the church in person and hopes to spend the, even the entire winter season with them. He was also uh, planning to send Timothy in verses 10 and 11 and has reached out to Apollos and encouraged him to visit the church in Corinth as well. Now, if you remember back in the beginning of the letter, the Corinthians were dividing into fractions between Paul between Apollos and between Cyphus. In this final chapter, this is Paul's way of telling the Corinthians his attitude towards Apollos. They are not divided. They are not divided. They are fellow workers and family of God. When it comes to Timothy, notice verse 10 and 11 that, Paul, uh, that Paul tells them 
that Timothy is doing God, the Lord's work and that they should not despise him. Now, why should they despise Timothy? Why should they look down on him and treat him with contempt as Paul would fear? Now, same attitude when embraced in fractions and division. The Corinthians did not look at the person or what God was doing in that person. They would rather have powerful people with the right credentials and influence, like Paul. Paul had a powerful story to tell, his conversion experience where he met Jesus. He was also an academic elite, being an ex-Pharisee, and he planted many churches. Timothy just isn't Paul. We see Paul's heart here to want to spend time with them and to resource them with people dear to him because the church is family. Now, much issues we have with others around us can be reconciled by drawing near, by spending time and sharing life. And I'm not sharing this easily as I know that we might not get along with every people in church just at just as we might not get along with every family member that we have. But shared time and experience grows love for one another. And there ought to be spiritual relationship, relationship that is anchored in the truth of the gospel in every one of our believer's life. And it might look strange to the world because we are connected to Jesus and what He has done for us especially as we come before His table today, to remember that His body and blood unites us as a family of God. Lastly, the Church of Christ is called to be devoted in service. Now, towards the end of the chapter, we see Paul lift up one household, an example for them all to follow. We first heard of Stephanus as someone that Paul baptized in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 16. And the point Paul makes is that he was among the first to place faith in Jesus and now he is an example of what sacrificial service looks like. Paul calls out specifically at the character qualities that this household is known for, being devoted to serving fellow believers and that they were refreshing people to the Lord. Now, how beautiful is that? In a way, when you can depend on someone in faith that you know and you can trust that they will refresh you and they will direct you back to the Lord. How beautiful is that? Being called to serve one another connects how Christ, our servant King, has served our cause on the cross and in turn, now for us to seek to serve others with the same sacrificial love. Doing all in love means capturing every opportunity to serve and love rather than seeking people or even the church to serve us. 
As the people of God, we are meant to give to the church. One way, because Christ gave His life for us. On that note, Christmas is coming. And Wesley is going to be along Orchard Road once again to tell the Christmas story ever since Christmas at the fall. Now, I always enjoy these events. But they're not just events to me. Because the Christmas story doesn't belong in the church. The Christmas story belongs in the streets where the least and the lost is. Just as it was given to shepherds. Would you consider capturing this opportunity to serve and to love? That said, our worship ministries, as we have seen and heard, but even between the traditional service, uh, is looking for worship servants. Our next-gen ministries are still looking for mentors to journey with our next-gen. Our outreach ministries are still looking for people with compassion for our beneficiaries in Jalan Bersi and in our missions destinations. Our discipleship ministries are still looking for shepherds to teach and guide our fellow Wesleyans. Wouldn't you consider capturing every opportunity to serve and to love? Where are we in being a real church? In concluding this sermon series on being a real church, we dive into the life of a 200 pack church. I don't know whether you know, but the Church of Corinthians, as recorded and as shared by scholars, seems to be a church of about 200 packs. In an estimated 60,000 population, populated city. Learning and addressing real issues about what it means to live out our faith authentically, and the seemingly small church making a difference in a cosmopolitan, much like ours, all with the aim of growing closer to Christ and reflecting His love to the world today. Being a real church means embodying the values of love, unity, humility, and pointing us towards growing together as one body. It means embracing the entirety of the truth of the gospel and allowing it to transform every aspect of our lives. It means being able to serve as fully devoted disciples of Christ and to live out our faith with integrity regardless of the trials or the temptations that we may face. And so as we draw this series to a close, it is my prayer that the Lord help us begin. Begin. Yes, perhaps some, some of us are in our journeys in faith. But as we end this series, I pray that the Lord help us begin. Begin by calling to mind that bring a real church is not about just attending services or going through the religious motions, 
but it is about a genuine relationship with Christ. Even through brokenness and hurts and allowing His love to overflow in and through our relationships that we share in our faith community, our families, our loved ones, so that the world might see the love of Christ. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thou give us strength to be humble, to receive your word into our hearts. Help us to receive, O Lord, because we know that you are at work in us. Help us to receive, O Lord, because we want to be filled with that resurrection power We want to receive, O Lord, because we want to have that living hope that would help us to face our lives daily. Help us receive, O Lord, because your Son was obedient to receive His call and to carry His cross for us. Yes, Jesus, you are our cornerstone. And on this rock, shall stand firm, true. Help us to receive, O Lord, as we declare that you are our God. You are our Savior. You are